Welcome to Bound by Books, a podcast of five authors across the genres talking about the one thing that we are all bound by, books. My name is Sherry Hayes. I write contemporary, steamy contemporary romance and BDSM romance, and I am joined by my fellow co-host, Marianne Malaya today. Hi, everybody. (laughs) Marianne, why don't you tell everybody what you write and a little bit about your book? Right. Paranormal everything. Spicy. (laughs) It's paranormal fantasy, vampires, werewolves, witches, fae. I write everything from, if you had to uh, give it a flame, I write everything from one flame straight up to four flames. I won't go to five flames because that's Sherry. (laughs) But (laughs) four flames, um, you know, adult as well as uh, older YA. So yeah, paranormal. It straddles the line between genres of Uh, I would say paranormal romance, urban fantasy and fantasy fiction. So that's, that's me. (laughs) I I think I I was thinking about that the other day. I'm like, you know, if you took everything that all five of us that host this podcast, right. Is there any subgenre of romance that we don't write? Steampunk. There we go. Steampunk. Yeah. I can't and wrap my head around it. You know, if anybody's, if anybody would write steampunk, I think it would probably be Danielle Bannister yeah, or, 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 T, or is, Tina Moss. Yeah. Those that two. is exactly what I was thinking. I was thinking Danielle because she just, you want to talk about straddling the genres. She yeah. straddles genres. Yeah. I mean, she has got everything from sweet YA all the way up to, well, she's not quite as steamy as, I am in the in that things, but she gets a, she gets a little heated, yeah, a little heated. Yep. So, um, and she's got I think she's even got some paranormal stuff in there. She's got a psychological one in there. I mean, yeah, mm. she's all over the place. Yeah, in a good way. In a good way. <laughs> in a good so, way. In a good so. in a good way. Yes. Well, today, uh, Marianne and I thought we would talk about heroes. I mean, let's be honest. Heroes are the reason that most romance readers pick up a romance. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know about for you, but for me, when it comes to heroes, my heroes are not Boy Scouts. They're not all good. They're just... It's like that that phrase from one of my favorite... I think it was uh, Little Women... Yes, the original little, little woman, with, well, not the original, but the one with Winona Ryder that most people know, um, where she says, you know, you wouldn't want her, the mother says, well, you wouldn't want a bad man. And she says, well, um, no, of course not. I want a good man, but I wouldn't mind if he had, if, if, he, if he could be bad, but chose not to be. So that's kind of like my, my mindset is this, is that they have the potential for violence. They have the potential to be you know, to, to, to go to the dark side, so to speak, you know, they have wine and cookies over there. So who wouldn't want to go? Um, but they don't, and they don't because there is a moral compass inside them, you know, and yeah. And a lot of times it's because they've had, especially with my vampires, it's because they've had bad happen to them. So even though that they do have a propensity to darkness, they make the choice to look for redemption and absolution and to, you know, to, to err on the side of being a better type of a human, even though they're no longer human. So what about you, Cher? 
Well, I mean, it sounds like you're you're kind of ride that line a little bit with the uh, almost the anti-hero, but yet like just getting glimpses of that anti-hero, but yet you still fall on that line of the hero, you know, the good that they're good in their in their soul. Mm-hmm. Um, I tend to my tagline for my books is sexy stories, real heroes. So my heroes, I tend to um, like ones that are relatable, but they still have that, uh, that commanding quality that is very much, but it's very realistic where you could see them in everyday life, but yet they're, the, they're kind of the ideal in my head things my mom my mom actually said that i write stories that they're (laughs) they're the way you always hope a man will be but us and always well i have elements of that too (laughs) i mean it's it's the way that they relate to the the love interest in their life you know the way that they communicate even if it's something that they have to be taught or even if the the you know my hero and my heroine are at loggerheads where they're you know they're snarking at each other left and right you know that type of a thing his his inner monologues are always about treating her the way that she deserves to be treated yes you know and 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 not there's never a there's never a question about that in you know in um in my stories you know and when I say they can be bad, I'm talking like if somebody is threatening theirs, you know, me and mm-hmm. mine type of attitude, they will go freaking ape shit. And, and, yeah. and that's when the predator comes out. That's when the animal comes out. That's when their base natures are tweaked. Right. And yeah. I give, I yeah. give my, I give my readers that, I mean, they, they have seen the beast and, you know, and, and that, you know, so that there's, always two sides to, to, to my heroes always. Yeah. I, I, I love the heroes that are literally willing to do whatever it takes for the people that they love. And yep. in, in romance, that is typically the love interest, mm-hmm. but it can, depending on the story, it can be a number of things. It can be their family, mm-hmm. their children. Yes. I mean, it's it's going above and beyond and putting to the point where they are willing to put their lives on the line to protect or defend the person that they love or the people that they love. That exactly that just exactly that just me. I I asked a few years ago on my Facebook page. I asked my readers which was more important to them in a romantic hero loyalty or honesty and it was really easy interesting to see their answers because a lot of them were like both it has to be both and but some of them were very much you know like oh no honesty is more important some are honesty you know were more loyalty is more important i think for me in a in a romantic hero loyalty is the more important factor absolutely honesty is great but sometimes you know i think honesty with the heroine is is really really important and maybe that's where the distinction because i can't stand a hero that will lie to his his lady i just can't stand that but even little white lies for her own benefit because he's got to do something that she may not want him to do or he doesn't uh, want her to know something because it's going to hurt her badly. 
And then at the end of the story, he fesses up and, and, but, and says, but you have to understand this is why I had to do why I, I couldn't tell you. Not, not mm. out and out, not out and out lies. Like, you know, like, like right. he's got a, he's got a little side piece going along, you know, that, that, that's not the kind of lies I think I'm, that I'm talking about. I'm talking about lies of omission for her own greater good, because he, something has to get done that will either put her in, in, da- in danger or jeopardy or, 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 or jeopardy. That's, see, I have that in my books too. <laughs> They're just like a little bit like, eh. I, I, I'm trying to think through that and the possibilities and I'm still erring on the side of no. Okay. Okay. Uh, I, I just, I, I would much rather have the hero be honest with the hero. I mean, yeah, I, I would, I mean, I'm sure maybe there are exceptions to that rule. However, I would say 99.9% of the time I am wanting the hero to be honest with the heroine, no matter what. So I have, yeah, I, um, I think in my world, because it is paranormal, you know, I have a lot of situations where like my shifters, they share like a common mind path, you know, and vampire, my vampires, some of them can read minds and read thoughts, um, you know, which is not uncommon in the mythology, but so there's always more reason for my heroes to keep things from the heroine when it puts them in danger and vice versa and vice versa because of it. I mean, again, I can see, I can see there are certain situations. Maybe it still irritates me. I mean, it's not something that will make me completely like, be like, Oh, you know, I'm never, this hero is just it for me. I'm not, I'm not having it. You're just a horrible person. How dare you lie to your, you know, to your lady or anything like that. I, I I can get over it if it's for really good reasons or something like that. It's just not something I particularly prefer. I prefer the honesty as well, but loyalty, obviously. And I guess it depends on the level of danger. If you really, if you really tell me that you convinced me that telling this person is going to put them in more danger, then I'm more willing to buy into what you're saying. If you're, if it's not going to put them in more danger, it's just going to hurt their feelings. Mm, no, no, I don't, I don't I'm not I'm talking not really about that. that. I'm not talking about. I mean, then, you know, okay. it's, it's not the, you know, do these jeans make my ass look fat? You know, type of a type of a thing, you know, <laughs> it's not, yeah. that's not the kind of, that's not the kind of uh, fib I'm talking about. Not that my, one of my heroes would ever tell any of my curvy girls that they look fat because that's just a no, no, because I'm a curvy girl and curvy girls got to represent babe got to represent so <laughs> oh man yeah I, well as I, as we're talking about this it actually one of my favorite romantic heroes actually kind of does what you're talking about it um i don't know if you've ever read the story the bronze horseman i have not tell me tell me okay, okay so it's it's a historical uh romantic fiction it takes place in russia during the Nazi occupation of World War II. <clears throat> so, uh, so basically, and in, in the siege that they put on, um, I think it was Leningrad. Uh, and it, so, anyway, it takes place there. But you have these two people who meet, and they're they're in they're in communist Russia, first of all. 
And then their, you know, their town is being placed under siege where there's, well, there's already limited resources. There's even more limited resources and people are sneaking food and this and the other. And he ends up essentially at several points in the story, but towards the end, especially pretty much sacrificing himself to save her. And he lies to her because he knows he tells her truth that follow him she will come with him and he knows that he's going to get taken so he wait basically he makes it so that she has to do something you know she has to go and he has to say it's yeah so in that particular thing but he knew that if she stayed that she would get taken to and he wanted to save her so yeah it was it, it was that part was you know again though that was very much an immediate instantaneous her life is in danger right now if I tell her the truth versus again the you know oh well you know I did this thing like that's what comes to mind when I first think about you know honesty with heroes it's it's not that immediate thing when I, when somebody asks me that it's the, you know, oh, well, I did something, you know, six months ago and, you know, or five years ago or whatever. And I'm, I'm not going to tell them because it might hurt their feelings. That, <laughs> that doesn't go for, for me. <laughs> well, I mean, they're not just going to blurt it out like they're reading on a, uh, like they're reading off a menu, you know, okay, I did X, Y, and Z five years ago when there's no context, but if it comes up, yeah, you have to be honest. I agree. You know, you, yeah. you, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, if, when I first met my husband, I didn't open up a diary and say, okay, here are the litany of my sins <laughs> from the past. Just so you know, it was just, if it things, if things came up, I, you know, right. that's when it got discussed. It wasn't like I, you know, I had to give hand to a dossier, a dossier beforehand. Yeah. You know? So, yeah. Oh yeah. Of course. Of course. So now when you're writing, um, when you're writing your heroes, do your heroes, cause one of the things I notice a lot in romance is heroes being commitment phobic. And I, my heroes totally aren't, my heroes are not commitment phobic at all. Mine are not they, either. They are not. And that, that just, I don't know what it is, but it does seem to be a very big trope when it comes to heroes and romance. And there's a lot of, a lot of them. I think it's less now than what it used to be. It used to be very much a, um, you know, the women kind of chasing after the man. Yeah, no. And I don't, and do, it, I don't do that in real life. I'm not yeah. going to create a heroine who does that. Sorry, no. I think it's a lot in the billionaire, uh, billionaire type of a thing, you know, billionaire romance. I only have uh, one of those, which is, was, was co-written with somebody and it was called the Alpha's Chase. But in that book, the twist was that she was the billionaire. Mm -hmm. So, and she needed, it was like a marriage of convenience type of a trope where she needed to get married or her uh, step, uh, step brother was going to challenge the will or you know some kind of pap like that interesting but, uh, yeah, yeah i only have my my fan my finding anna series is the only uh stories that have um, have a billionaire in them and i don't really ever come out and say he's a billionaire i just imply that he's very very wealthy and his <laughs> family is very wealthy 
Um, but I actually got some uh, some flack from a few reviewers because I the first at the one of the opening scenes in Slave, he he goes to the freezer and pulls out some frozen pizzas for her when he when she he first brings her home, and they were I had some readers that were just like, he's a billionaire, he wouldn't eat frozen pizza. Why not? <laughs> But I was like, I was like, why not? I mean, I guess, yeah, he could order that, but it's like, why wouldn't just because you're wealthy doesn't necessarily mean that you're never going to, you know, have convenience food. Because President, you know, President Clinton used to used to, used to joke that he never passed a McDonald's he didn't like. You know, so I mean, come on, yeah, seriously, I'm, come on. I'm like, I, I didn't understand that, but yeah. Anyway, I, but I mean, for <laughs> me, I I think um, I. See, I, I, I'm a, a, a huge lover of, um, I'm a huge Jane, Jane Austen fan, huge. It's my go-to um, when I'm feeling, um, when I need a, just a kind of a curl up on the couch with a bowl of popcorn and turn off the world type of a type of a day. And, you know, I love uh, Pride and Prejudice and I love um, Sense and Sensibility. And everybody's like, oh, Mr. Darcy, Mr. Darcy, you know, from that. He was kind of an arrogant dick, you know, um, and then he shows that he's really not. He just is very he, he hides his tr- his true nature. I, I don't know why. Um, and I have a little bit of some sometimes I have problems with that because Elizabeth Bennett doesn't want anything to do with him until she sees his estate. And then all of a sudden she's like, Mr. Darcy, you know, it's like, all right. Yeah. Gold digger. <laughs> but. But I still love the movie because I, I do. And I love the book. But I have to say, for me, with a hero, um, the first one that I would put is um, Colonel Brandon from Sense and Sensibility. He's an older gentleman. He's not older, like he's not like, like 70 or 60. He's probably 35. So he's seasoned in the time frame of being he's sold his wild oats he's done his military service he's wealthy and he's looking to settle down and he sets his cap for Marianne Dashwood who's this very young idealistic idealistic in everything especially in romance I mean she just wants to burn in romance you know and that type of a thing um and she doesn't want anything to do with him because she's she's in she wants the dashing man on a big black horse and who turns out to be a real dickwad you know in the in the show you know he turns in the book as well and then when the chips are down and she is ill and she needs somebody who is steady and strong and honest and 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 willing to go that extra mile like we said you know put his life on the line except it's not his life on the line but he's going to ride through the night because she's so ill that she may die to bring her mother back to her, to give her a little bit of solace and comfort. That's the kind of man we, we all want. We all, we all want somebody who will put themselves to that end. will that will ride through fire because we need, because we need something, you know, because we, you know, something is that important to us. And, you know, he shows his true colors and as being, as being a true man, a real man, not, you know, not somebody who's just this, you know, player, you know, he's, he's a a real man. And um, she ends up with him in the end. So, cause she finally wakes up from this, you know, fantasy dream that she's had about what men are supposed to be like, you know, the, the, the ones that were portrayed in, in earlier literature, 
you know, uh, Tristan right. and Donald and, you know, tragic ends, Romeo and Juliet type of a thing, you know, where it doesn't have to be a tragic end. It has to be, you know, somebody has to actually be an adult in the room, <laughs> you know, that type of a thing. So, right. Yeah. And so some of those that you mentioned, like they, they do tend to be more fanciful, like yeah. over the top heroes where again, my heroes tend to be a lot more realistic and that tends to be a lot more what I'm like, I want those more mature, uh, not afraid of commitment, you know, willing to lay it all down on the line for their heroine, which brings us to another uh, very epic uh, <laughs> fictional hero. Uh, Jamie Fraser from Outlander. I will be still my heart. Be still my heart. And I know you and I are in total agreement with this one. Yes. Total agreement in this one. Yes, yes, yes. There is just something about Jamie Fraser that just, you know. He's that bad boy who chooses to be good. He is. Mm. He's that bad boy who chooses to be good. You know, he breaks the rules when he has to break the rules, you know. Um, and he's yeah. he'll do anything to go to the ends of the earth barefoot if he you know for for claire if he has to you know yeah. take on the entire british army if he has to you know we'll take a lash if he has to you know yeah he's, that's that type of a that type of a man but i have to say i mean we were talking earlier that um you know the, the, the character arc at some points in the later books he gets a little annoying I have to say, at least in my opinion, he does. And besides Jamie, I have to say on a, on a quieter type of hero in that same series is Roger Mack. Um, I, you know, he, you know, he has his moments where he's being a jerk. Like when he walks out on Brianna, when he follows her back, you know, through the, through the, the sands of time and then actually finds her in the past. And then he walks know, away. And then it's he like, walks really? away, which is like, you know, okay. But, you know, being sold to the Mohegans, you know, I mean, the Mo you know, Mohegans at Mohawk. that point, Mohawk rather, um, you know, that uh, kind of, kind of taught him a lesson, but is grappling with a lot. And he, chooses to stay in the past because of her you know I mean yeah. he has a lot that happens to him in the past because he's at the mercy of somebody who tells you know lies about who he is when you know and he gets hung after that after that skirm or that battle you know and then he for some reason survives that you know and loses his voice but it's a lot there's a lot that happens in there so I have to I have to say he gets props for respect on my you know on from me as a hero he does in yeah. that respect yeah, there there are a lot of quiet really, heroes. really good uh, heroes. I, I will say that Diana Gabaldon does write really, really, really good heroes in general. Um, one of my favorite um, characters in that story is actually Lord John. Oh yeah, I love. I love Lord John. Did I you love Lord John? Have, have you read the Lord John series? I have not. It's I, really good. It, it's, it's really good. It's, it's it's always been it's been on my tbr list for a really long time i just again i don't read a whole lot of historical fiction romance anything it's very very sparse and uh you know few and far between so it's just not kind of my go-to but i'm like man i really need to actually i think i actually have the first couple of them i just haven't actually picked them up and read them um but I don't know. He just, again, he has that same, even though he's not the hero of the books, he has his moments where he just still has those same 
characteristics of a really awesome like hero in my book because he will do anything for the people that he loves and that is Jamie, Jamie. Willie I mean yeah. he will he will do anything for those two people I mean that those two people in his life he will do anything for because they are who he loves and who you know he's you know kind of committed himself to mm-hmm. and I just think that's so admirable I mean in a in a hero and it's it's but like so mar- like offering like offering to marry Brianna you know yes yeah yes that is one of that is one of the I would say one of the most heartfelt scenes where she is just like she's trying she's basically trying to blackmail him into marrying her and then once she you know he's just he's like totally offended and then all of a sudden it's like she explains why and he's just like okay well I'm gonna step up whether (laughs) we'll we'll, we'll at least put things off so that you know you know because I can obviously step back yeah so uh take the pressure off so yeah it's it's just I love that I do I love that in a hero where it's just put it all on the line that's that's the thing so um, even even in a situation whether it's our characters or the characters that we read in the fiction that we love that are like, for me, like I said, you have moments where they're just annoying that the good in them. And I don't mean the boy, I don't mean boy scout good. I mean the actual adult male in them that has that moral compass that is so entrenched in doing what is right for the people that they love is it far outweighs the tiny little niggling moments where they're just like, you know, just, just like, okay, no, no, no. You know, that that's annoying. Stop. And then they do stop, you know? (laughs) And and I love the fact that in the fiction that we, that we love to read in the fiction that we write for both of us, then our heroines are strong enough that when our heroes are having that annoying moment that our, our heroines step up and basically say exactly what I just said, nah, nah, stop. And they stop, (laughs) you know, that they, that they actually listen to the women in their lives. They, they give, they give them, you know, they may argue and they may stomp away, but their inner monologues are always where they realize that they're the woman was right. Yeah, we're being yeah. jerks. So yeah, the the one the one book that uh, the one story that I wrote, I'm trying to think if I have any more, but there's one where, for sure, and it, I'm thinking of it because it's part of my Boys in Blue uh, box set that's coming out in September. Uh, is crossing the line where Paul is actually the one who is not interested in a relationship. He's He's, he's a or a single dad. He blames himself for his wife dying, and and even though it's not his fault, but um, that was kind of his moment of being stupid. Is that he is convinced that he's convinced himself that he is responsible for his wife's death when um, she was actually hit by a drunk driver. I mean, he mm. wasn't even in the car. It was just that they had had a fight and she stormed off and, you know, ended up, you know, that was the last time they ever spoke to each other. So he felt like he had a lot of guilt. And there's a scene in the book where Megan just basically tells him to get over it. 
then it's not his fault to get over it. Um, so yeah, I mean, that time where it's just being stupid and, you know, moving past it. But again, it's, again, for me, it's all about, it's very contextual. It has to make sense in the context. And that to me is where it comes down to a good author can write a believable scenario and a believable scene to have everything play out naturally versus it being very broken up and just kind of contrite and put out there and like, hey, I'm going to delve into this trope and, you know, write this versus, you know, a very well thought out, you know, easy flow, good pacing plot line. So, but, you know, you have to have your, your solid characters, like you're talking about, you're having to, you have to have those characters that are mature. <laughs> that's what I don't think that's one of the reasons why I don't I do not particularly like new adult romance because the characters just tend to be a little too immature for my taste well they're they're still in the larval stage <laughs> you know, yes they are they're not they haven't fully formed yet as adults yeah um yeah but there's a there's a time and a, there's there's a place for them because there are plenty of people who are who sometimes mm-hmm. whether you're there in their late teens early 20s and are in that in the throes of that larval stage um or there are some adults who are just never never got never out of it up. yeah the never peter grow pan, up <laughs> the peter pans and wendy's you know but um yeah. you know like in in twice cursed in my book twice cursed uh which is uh, uh the first main book in the cursed by blood series you know um my main character lily um, is not being accepted by Sean's pack because it's a shifter. Uh, it's a shifter of urban fantasy, um, and it's not doesn't have anything to do with the fact that you know that she's saved their pack from this virus um, because of the you know the antigens are uh, uh, the antibodies are in her blood, you know, and uh, they they've just turned on her because of pack politics, you know, and there's a lot of machinations going on behind the scenes, so she's you know and she loves sean who is the the alpha of the brethren and he loves her and they want to be together but she realizes that i need to go back to new york because this happens up in maine and i need to go back to new york and he doesn't want to let her go but he knows that she has to and he doesn't want to let her go by herself so he ends up sending one of his hunters with her this guy named the the um guy named jack and she gets all upset she's like i don't need a babysitter i know how to use a gun and he's he's basically like i'm not sending him as a babysitter you carry my mark which means that if i'm not there you you know every every shifter under the sun is gonna is gonna be attracted to you and vice versa you know and she's like did i did i turn did you turn me into some lunar driven nymphomaniac and he's like no but he lets her go because that's what that's what adult men do is they're not going to try and keep you when you're when you feel like you don't need you need to be there. And she explains to him, you have to deal with what you have to deal with here to try and find out what what impolitic cruelties are going on behind the scenes and what kind of um, machinations, like I said before, you have to get to the root of it. And my being here is only going to be a distraction. And I think that that's part of why they're giving me such a hard time is to distract you from really what's going on. So I'm going to go back to New York. I'm going to do what I need to do. And then we'll, we'll, we'll figure things out as we go. And she does. And it turns out what's happening 
you know, in, at the compound of wares in Maine is all has now bled into what's going on. You know, there's things happening in New York and it's all interconnected. And at one point she says, you have to come to New York. And he, he just, he does what he has to do. Not because he's going to New York to be with her. That's just a perk. He's going to New York because he has to liaise with the vampires, you know, and because now vampires and, and weirs are in my mythology are enemies and they have to form this tentative truce to figure out what the hell is happening that's affecting both of their supernatural subcultures. So, you know, and that's, you know, she doesn't want to leave, but, she, but at the same time, she knows she has to, and Sean doesn't want to let her leave, but she, he know he knows it's, it's the best, it's for the best at this point in time. And I've had readers contact me. We're like, Oh my God, you're sending her with Jack and Jack is, you know, you know, what do you, what did you, you, you know, and then she has to hook up with a, um, a detective by the name of Ryan, because she's a New York City profiler. That was that was her job. You know, that, well, that's why she says, I know how to handle the gun. You know, she's a profiler. And so they put, you know, the, the, the blood bloodbaths that are happening in New York City that are at the hands of the vampires, the New York City Police Department and the commissioner of police, they have no freaking clue. Um, so it's not only is she a profiler, but she's a psychic. And so they're at the ends of their rope. So they bring in a psychic. I mean, no one is, no police department is going to work with a psychic unless they're at the end of their rope. You know, that's it just doesn't, it's not part of their, their, their culture. So she is paired up with a homicide detective and there's sparks flying between them because he's half shifter and he doesn't realize mm -hmm. it. And my readers are like, you had her leave Sean. And now she's having this, now there's all this, this um, sexual tension between her and this cop. We don't like that. This is, this wasn't supposed to be a love triangle and I'm, and I, but it's not, it's, it's all part of what is happening and why. You know, it leads to the, you know, the end. And that's why I had to have Sean come back, come to New York so that they know that it's not a love triangle. So, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So that kind of brings us a little bit to the the bad boy trope. Mm -hmm. So what are your thoughts on that? Well, I'm assuming that you're not a big, big fan of that. Maybe walking the line of it. But I mean, we've kind of been talking about both of us are very much in the um we like the mature uh men <laughs> i yeah. guess you would say uh as a romantic hero so i mean i know personally i'm not a huge bad boy fan again i'm fine if they kind of walk that line a little bit of where they'll do anything where they're willing to cross what's traditionally considered acceptable if it is for the protection of their uh of the people that they love but in general like i'm not um kind of, i just like i don't really i'm not a fan get into the bad boy type situation not a fan at all no it's a huge trope <laughs> i know it is but i'm not a fan at all um i won't read a bully romance i i just i know oh. there are people i know there are people who love them I and i'm not going to trash them because you know to each his own you know if that's what if that's what yeah. does it for you then that's great for me personally, I can't because I am too much of an alpha female to ever have to, to ever put up with a bully who's just a bully for a bully's sake. 
I mean, my attitude is you're a bully because deep inside is a cowardly little boy who is just cowering at the idea of commitment, cowering at the idea of having to take on the responsibilities and be a real man. So therefore, it's not in my wheelhouse or in my inclination to want to have to take that little that, that cowering little boy out from in deep inside you and train them how to be a man. So that's just not my deal. Okay, I'm too much of an alpha female to have to deal with that sniveling little little child inside the bully, living inside the bully. Yeah, that is one of the romance tropes that's really like came to prominence in the last couple of years. I just can't wrap my head around. I mean, I get the whole enemies to lovers thing to a certain extent, but But that's different. Enemies to lovers doesn't necessarily mean a bully. You know? Right, exactly, exactly. I mean, you could be enemies because your family has, you know, has, yeah. you know, feels in the McCoys. Yeah, that's right, exactly. Thing. But the bully romance thing, just I just don't. You're right. I just don't get it. I, I'm. It, it, I don't like, understand I don't... how you could you could just have somebody who treated you like crap, tortured you essentially, harassed you, tortured you, whatever in school or college or what have you, and then all of a sudden you fall in love with them. I don't understand that. I really well, don't. So listeners, if you can explain that to me, if you love bully romance and you can explain the appeal to me, I would love to hear it because I, I just I, don't get it. I think it's the fantasy of um, that they will, that they will fall so head, head over heels in love with you that they won't be, a, they won't bully anymore. That you will be a ministering angel who will the change fixer, them. The fixer, the fixer. Uh, complex. Yeah, maybe. And Which, I don't, I'm sorry, you know, I don't have time for that. So I don't have yeah. time for that. I got to fix me. I'm not going to worry about fixing anybody else. Yeah. So which is, which has been, you know, which has been a trope though for a year. I mean, for a long, long time in romance, that whole think the, about, you know, Sherry, think about a woman's psyche and where we came from in the past. All right. Think about it just as, as, as short ago as, you know, 70 years ago in the 1950s. All right. Where, we were where women were housewives and mothers. They didn't really have careers outside of the outside of the home, even into the 60s, where the, when, when we had the, the, the all the, the civil rights movements and, and it was the beginning of the women's movement that, that came into the 70s. My mother-in-law, you know, she got married in 19, 1967. She had my husband in 69 and she had my, my brother-in-law in 72 she was not allowed to continue working. She was a hairdresser, not allowed to continue working once, once her pregnancy was, when she started to show. Things have changed tremendously, but, but it wasn't that far, long, far in the past that women were basically second-class citizens. So the idea of um, having to have this fixer attitude comes from, I think, a lot of that the way that women were trained, that we were the nurturers. We were the, they were the ones who fixed the problems in the home. We fixed our husbands, you know, and so I think that carries over. I mean, that's just my two cents of psychobabble for the day. So, but that's how I think, I I think that that comes, comes with the territory with these, with these kinds of romances, you know, same thing with the dubious consent, you know, that, you know, that's another one that, you know, where, where it's, it's kind of, it, it straddles the line, you know, where it's you, you, dubious consent is something that most people in their lifetime, 
in their reality of life would never allow, but they will read it because it's fantasy, you know, and uh, same thing, same thing with, uh, with some of the ones that border on abuse, you know, they'll read it because it's fantasy, but in their own personal reality, they would never accept it in their real life, you know? So I don't know, maybe it has to do with, with giving up control. Probably. That's the other thing. I I mean, BDSM fiction is a huge, huge thing, but again, there's that, there's the dubious consent side, which is a completely kind of separate thing versus the BDSM side, which is the giving up control, but consensually. So it, it, yeah, it's a very, it's an interesting topic. Um, One that we actually probably don't have time to give into. No, no, no. We are. Oh but if you God, had to, if I had to spin the wheel of fictional boyfriends to land on, you know, if, if you put, if you peppered them with all the different types of them, whether there was bully romance or dubious consent or, or any, any of the other ones under the umbrella of romance, my wheel would stop on hero every single time. And the kind of hero that mm-hmm. you and I have, have discussed. And for me, you know, the ones yeah. that are good, but had the potential to be bad, but chose not to. That's me. That's what I love. Yeah. Yeah. Like I said, I, I think we, as far as heroes go, I think we do have kind of very similar tastes in heroes as far as the more mature, uh, ultra loyal uh, uh, hero that is willing to do anything and, but, and not afraid of commitment, not, you know, not a sleazy <laughs> over the top bad boy so um we prefer i think our mature things which i think is more of what we write i mean when i was reading your story condemned i mean he was definitely not an immature you know boy he was definitely now granted he was 900 years old but but he was also personality wise he was definitely and even the thing is is even when you when you gave us the historical scenes where flashback to when he was in his early 20s, he was still a very upstanding, you know, man. He was not a boy. Right. He's going to do thing uh, and be, you know, the best person that he could be. So I think I think that's uh, I think that's a good place to end today. Uh, well, he was um, 900 years old. You have to, you have to qualify that. He's a vampire. I know. <laughs> he's not Methuselah. I know. Yeah. <laughs> he's yeah, a vampire. That's true. I, sh- I didn't say, I didn't, yeah, that's true. I didn't say vampire, but you know, we did talk to the paranormal. So it was kind of implied. It was kind of yeah, implied there. Yeah. But actually um, I did have, I did have a reader who, who said to me, uh, she left a, a DNF uh, on Goodreads for the book. And that was because Oh, he's 22 years old, 23 years old. And he acts like Ned Stark, meaning, you know, from, from Game of Thrones, you know, the older, okay. you know, the, the, uh, the, the, the Lord of the North, you know, and who is the father of, of the, his whole, his whole clan basically. And, you know, that mm-hmm. he acts like Ned Stark instead of one of the young, he's only 23. And I, and I was going to answer back and I thought to myself, you know, it's not worth it. It's not worth it because you know what? Yeah, he's chronologically stopped aging at 23, but he's fucking 900 years old. He's gonna have he's gonna have character growth over 
and, and personality growth is going to evolve over that. Well, not just that, years. but 23 year olds 900 years ago and 23 year olds today are not yeah. the same thing. Yeah, I know. So that's you why know? I didn't get into it with her. <laughs> most 23, <laughs> most 23 year olds 900 years ago were married or yeah. at least, you know, and probably had children at that point. Um, yeah. You yeah. know, most 23 year olds today, not so much. No. So, um, but anyway, we'll end it there. Thank you all for listening or watching if you're watching on YouTube. And uh, if you would like to find out more about me, Marianne, or any of our other hosts uh, or the podcast in general, you can visit our brand new website. It just launched last week. Yay! Uh, yay! We're so excited. Uh, it is boundbybookspodcast.com. So very easy to remember. And you can check it out. We've got bios on there of all of the authors that are involved, links to our websites, our Facebook pages, our newsletters. So you can keep up on that. Uh, and you can also listen to the podcast on um, Spotify, SoundCloud, Blog Talk Radio. And we are also now on Google and Apple Podcasts. So you can check us out pretty much on all the major podcast so hopefully you will join us next monday at 12 noon eastern time for the next episode of bound by books until then bye thank you all bye, bye.